Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 143 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. And before we get into today, I just want to shout out to everybody and uh, hope that everyone is okay, safe, healthy, and well during this really unusual time that we're going through with the pandemic. Uh, everything on my end, thankfully, is fine. So uh, now uh, today on episode 143, we have Nick Taylor. Uh, it's his second visit to the podcast. He's one of the most uh, highly respected, uh, I'd say still he's a young, young coach is out there. Uh, he's uh, currently now, uh, he just actually opened up the Nick Taylor Squash Academy, so he's got a lot to talk about when it comes to that. I recently just had Peter Nickel on, and uh, he had just uh, maybe uh, a bit before Nick had uh, opened up his academies, and uh, Nick is in the same boat. They're open, but uh, obviously with the lockdown, there's not as much going on there as he'd like, but uh, he talks quite a bit about that, and we spend a lot of time discussing uh, the COVID situation and how we can gently get back on the court, and he's got some very unique ideas and some interesting ideas concerning that. And also, uh, obviously, uh, Nick is a prolific uh, background as a player, two-time British national finalist, European uh, individual champion, uh, over 45 world uh, masters champion as well. So we uh, talk quite a bit about uh, his career. In fact, I, I asked him a couple of questions about uh, memorable matches and uh, opposition that uh, he's faced that he felt were uh, for, were rather challenging. And he gave us a couple of uh, fantastic anecdotes uh, concerning uh, Philip Whitlock and uh, David uh, Palmer when it comes to came to that and much more uh, we also talked quite a bit as he's a legend of the master circuit now with two uh, world titles under his belt how uh, the masters players can remain fit healthy uh, and ready to hit the court not only uh, technically but obviously at that age uh, making sure the body's ready and he has some really uh, good uh, insight in terms of that so Nick Taylor on episode 143 now before we get started though I just want to uh, talk a bit uh, about our sponsor uh, Active Scout okay now Ju uh, June 1st is almost here and Active Scout is about ready to launch so clubs are now opening as well let's start uh, bringing the squash community together now is the time to start reaching out to your fellow squash players. Most of you out there use WhatsApp as your club communication tool. Now that's great, but now it's time to rethink how you text your core group of friends. Active Scout is a solution designed specifically for the squash community. Active Scout organizes all the members of your club by their level of play, and it's exclusive to your club for right now. So unlike WhatsApp, if you're forming a group, you don't want to be spending hours sorting through work colleagues or friends from high school just to find a few people who might be up for playing in this first wave of players brave enough to venture out. Active Scout will be launching on June 1st, but if you want to be an early tester, feel free to reach out to rob at activescout.com. Now, you only have a few days to get that done. Uh, it's the 29th or 30th by the time this drops. So that's just like the app, though, activescout.com. That is Active Scout without the E. So thanks to Active Scout for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, take a look at that. It's almost June 1st. The launch is coming up soon. Now, this is episode 143. Really enjoyed this chat with Nick Taylor. Yeah, well, uh, well, Nick, it's uh, great, to, uh, great to see and great to hear your voice. And before um, before we start, let me just start by uh, by asking how you and and uh, everyone on your uh, on your side are doing under these uh, unusual uh, circumstances. Yeah, we're, we're we're all good. We're all healthy, which is which is very important. Um, we've, um, I mean, personally, uh, COVID came. I mean, no one wishes COVID or anything like this on anyone but timing wise it was quite interesting because I was um, in between uh, jobs so I've left Infinitum Squash um, my visa um, was with them until August but obviously my new place required a new visa so I had to go through the visa process so oh, yeah. that, that time away sort of you know I mean no one could work I mean, I couldn't legally work, and no one could work. So, yeah, um, you know, timing-wise, it was it was um, it was quite interesting. Um, mm. You know, the the how like, was uh, how were they with in terms of all of that? Like, how how was the administration side of it? Were they sort of more 
uh, accommodating no, or what? I mean, yeah. Yeah, so, so it was interesting because um, you, can, you can pay for, uh, once you put your application for your visa, you can pay a fee for premium processing, which guarantees you uh, a, a decision within 15 working days. Okay. But immigration closed premium processing on the day I applied. So oh, oh. I know. So, so it goes through the normal process, which is about three months, anywhere oh, yeah. between two and three months. So, and then there's no guarantees. I mean, are they going to give immigrant? Are they going to give, you know, visas and stuff like that? So it, it was a very worrying time. So this was a, about a month ago, was it? Or well, no, it was longer. It was long. like, this was the end of March. End of March. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the visa came through under normal circumstances, under normal application in 22 days. It's like a record. My, my immigration, <laughs> case, like, wow. I've never seen that come through that quick. So I think, you know. Someone must know you there. <laughs> it's either that or, you know, there's, there's less applications going in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people think it's closed, so they're not applying for visas. You know, uh, companies are not employing. So, you know, I'm in the process now of, of applying for my green card. So hopefully that will be fairly quick. quick. Uh, right. Maybe not because it's the old one, but it, it'll be quick. So that will give us a lot more stability. I guess that, uh, the fact that you have your own academy uh, now and, and things on, on your own, you're, you're an owner of a business. Uh, I'm sure that, that that'll help uh, expedite the green card thing. Yeah, I mean, it, I, mean I, I look at it that way as well. And some, a few other people have said exactly the same thing. So, um, you know, I mean, just obviously very quickly, just talking about that transition from Infinitum, obviously two and a half years there, um, you know, love building a new academy. Um, but an opportunity came up where, you know, I was, you know, really in control of my own destiny again. And, you know, Charlie's playing some good squash. I want to get away with him a little bit, not just around the US, but possibly overseas. And, you know, th this this opportunity, you know, without relocating was, was you know, a real good one. And, um, mm. you know, it wasn't an easy decision leaving, but um, it, it was the right one. It has to be right at this time in my uh, career. Right on. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but I did want to mention too, I mean, under the, uh, you know, under the circumstances, everyone's got their own thing. What we're doing, we just adopted a dog by the way. So you know, yeah. that's been a big, uh, my wife's in, um, in South Korea, she can't get back. So she went just before the, uh, the thing hit and now there are no flights coming back, but she's with her family, with her mother there. So that's good. But I, I did notice, uh, uh, the last couple of posts you've had on Twitter and Facebook, man, you've got this new, uh, this new house looking pretty good. <laughs> well, that's the other thing that we've had an opportunity of, of like, you know, getting some yard work done and, mm. and just try, look, I mean, you know, I've, I've not been negative about the situation. I've, I've tried to use the situation and be as positive as I could possibly be. Yeah. Uh, you know, try and keep some structure in the house. And, you know, we, me and my wife, Sarah, have been, you know, out in the yard and getting things done. And, you know, because once I get back on court, it's, I'm going to be busy. So, you yeah. know, it gives you an opportunity of, you know, tidying things up. And, um, and we, you know, we live in a beautiful part of the world and, and we're very, you know, thankful and fortunate. But, um, you know, we've worked hard and um, and we love where we are and, and I can't wait to get back on court and get going again. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, so the new academy uh, just opened. Well, it did. Has it opened officially? Uh, well, I guess so it we, wouldn't. So we've been. Yeah. I mean, I've been sort of down at the facility most days. You know, prepping. Uh, you know, getting the facility looking. You know, just fresher. And we put feature wall up, and we got some banners, and you know, tidying the place up, and and cleaning the courts, and. And just ready for the launch, really. And we, we launched the website, and I've had mm. amazing feedback from that. Um, people reaching out and saying, "We want to be part of your academy." And when you're starting, and yeah. that's a difficult bit. You know, you, you're, you're working off. Luckily, we've got this phased approach now, so things are starting to open up in Massachusetts. Um, I think we'll be probably in some capacity in the next two or three weeks, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know how that looks exactly, but I think probably one to one is going to be fairly safe. Mm. Uh, but but I think I think we'll be look. I mean, you know, I, I don't know anymore. I mean, I, yeah. Well, everyone, you hear this term, everyone throwing around the new normal. Uh, I mean, I, I hope that's yeah. not the case. But 
I mean, I mean, my club hasn't opened yet, but there's a WhatsApp group and everybody's saying, okay, things are opening up in Dubai. It's time for us to open. And, and, and uh, you know, there's a way to go about it. And that's what I was going to ask you. I, I had yeah. Peter, Peter Nicolon last two weeks ago, and he's maybe in a similar situation as you, although his academy may have been open a little bit longer. But, uh, you know, he's an owner, he's a manager, he's a squash coach. And, uh, you know, what do you do now under these circumstances? Uh, Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, I mean, like I say, um, you know, it, it's interesting just talking to, to people about it and talking to clients. And it's like, you know, are you going to, you know, we have to make the environment as safe as possible. So I think mm -hmm. for me, um, you know, doing one-to-one -one is very, very safe, Yeah. Um, in my opinion. Um, I think, you know, once you get some, look, I, I'm going to be busy when my, when my client's confidence comes back, mm. this issue is not going away for no. another maybe year, year and a half. Everyone's holding out for the vaccine, but I can tell you now that that vaccine comes available. Not everyone's going to have it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, people are like, oh, when the vaccine, I'm like, are you going to have it when it comes out? And they're like, actually, uh. I'm not sure whether I will because there's more data coming out on a week to week basis. You know, it's, I'm no expert, but I think, you know, you read, you talk to people and you know, it's, you know, less likely you can pick it up off surfaces than it was four weeks ago. Um, mm. So, you know, it, it's, you know, our clientele are young kids who are fairly healthy, both yeah. as players and parents, you know, if, I, I had a parent come to me and say, look, you know, my wife's got serious underlying health issues. I want to put your kid in the academy. I would probably say, I don't think that's a good idea. So right. I think it's a matter of just, you know, being coaches, not being greedy and, and not, not, I don't mean that in a bad way, but just, you know, coaches have been out of work for nearly three months. So they want to try and maximize. And I think we have to try and do that in a safe environment. And if I do anything like clinics, then I won't be having more than two people on a court. Simple right. as that. And right. we'll do certain safety checks to give confidence. And, um, you know, I know that our facility has been, you know, I'm in here prepping the facility, but the place is immaculate because, mm. you know, Warren Cross, who owns the facility, has a cleaning business. Are there any well. ball marks on the walls yet, Nick? It's it, pretty pretty clean, and yeah, uh, yeah. and we're ready to uh, we're ready to get that going again. So we're desperate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, uh, the WhatsApp group for my club. Uh, there's no sort of squash pro at the club. I guess I'm the default pro. I'm, uh, um, for you know, unfortunately for the club, but uh, yeah, I'm the only one uh, who, who could probably coach there. But I, I told them that I put together for the management of the hotel. It's in a hotel, so a, a list of sort of how we could approach getting back on court. So I was just thinking in terms of you know, all right, you, you have the option of solo practice. You have the option, you know, we can play games, but it would be you know, front court, back court, you know, both drive give variations on this, give vary maybe side to side, but never uh, putting anyone in a situation where there'd be continuous or contact or, you know, that, sure. that kind of uh, thing. Uh, so when you think of, uh, I mean, I'm going to put that list together tonight, actually, for, for them. But when you think of that, when getting people back on court, what under what circumstances, uh, aside from obviously the one-on-one -on -one coaching, under what circumstances do you see your club opening uh, in terms of that well I think I, I think that's how again that's down to you know the, the coach and you know and managing those I mean you, you're absolutely right I mean there's, there's a lot of things you can do uh, which you know, um, you know the squash courts a big space if you've got two players on it so mm. you know I, I think um, you know social distancing games like you've just said front to back side to side yeah, uh, and you know, trying trying to make it fun. I mean, you know, you it can you, still be competitive. I mean, you you can do both. You can do yeah. both drive and and just it, it it can be competitive. And I, I think you know we we've got to again. I, I don't want to I don't want to dismiss and and sound like I'm I'm ignoring the issues here. But I I think we've just got to try and get back to some kind of normality mm. with with some you know some 
very sensible approach by parents and players. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. where they're mixing, what they're doing, um, you know, just generally, you know, if you're feeling unwell, don't take a risk. Bring your hand sanitizer, mm. disinfectant things down. I mean, I think yeah. we can. I think we can really keep it safe. And like I said, there's more data coming out every day. Um, and like I said, I'm not. I'm no expert, and I'm not pretending to be an expert. But reading different, to, and, and the, the, you know, certain media scares you. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. anything for the next twelve months. Just sitting. Well, in uh, they politicize it so much now. Like you don't know what to believe, and, and especially That's where you are. <laughs> I take snippets of information and, and, you know, talk to people in the in certain fields and, and try and get, you know, a sensible approach to it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, you know, we, we as a family have done nothing other than be in the house or go to the supermarket once a week and put masks on. And, you know, I think if you're cleaning, sanitizing, cleaning the club regularly. Yeah. Well, that should just, be that should be factored into the court booking, shouldn't it? I mean, if you book, if I book, I don't know if your your academy has a, you know, if it has a booking system or, or whatever. But yeah, yeah. if yeah. you if 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 it's forty five minutes and then fifteen minutes at the end for sterile or re, you know, get the get the court cleaned up, wiped down, or whatever we have to do, and then the next group comes on. Yeah, uh, and I, and I think every facility. This is the thing, you know, we are lucky because. You know, Warren Cross, who owns the facility, has a has numerous businesses, and one of those is cleaning. So mm. his domestic cleaning has gone quiet. So he's got like three cleaners, and it's like you know, I was I was in here yesterday doing a job, and like the girl comes in, and I'm like, you don't have to clean that court again. You were in here like eight minutes ago, and she's like, I know, but you know, my job is to clean, and the place is as clean as my house. So. Yeah, yeah. Not club. Most clubs can't afford to do that. Right. Yeah. Can't afford to hire two or three full-time staff just going around cleaning all the time. So, so every every club is as a as a different situation. You know, lifetime, for instance. You know, there's three thousand people in a lifetime at any one time. Yeah. yeah. You know, in my club here, you've got no more than ten people at any one time. So right. my club is safer than lifetime, in, right. in my opinion. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think you know, it's, it, it's not one size fits all. This, this is, this is you, 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 you know, you've got to look at the situation. You've got to manage it, and and some places are luckier than others, and um, you know, and and you know, I have a facility which which I feel is a is a very very safe environment for my players. Right now, in terms of your players, uh, uh, do you have a? I'm just going to ask you this later, but may, maybe a. Are you doing any online uh, stuff with them in the meantime or no, sort of I meeting mean, with them or I, advising? I, I, or? I, I haven't really. And, and the reason I haven't is, is you know, I've been, I've been in regular contact with them generally anyway, um, yeah. you know, when they've reached out because I, I don't feel comfortable reaching out to them as if it's like prepping for getting back into it. It's like I want my clients – to ring and my new clients to ring me and say, look, we're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when can you do something? When can you, well, you know, and then there's a time frame there. So that takes a lot of pressure off me. So, uh, you know, plus, you know, I've had a serious amount of work, you know, I'm now applying for my green card. So that's like, you know, my, my petition is like 1200 pages long. So, and also you, know, you and your wife, I mean, you and your wife, Sarah, man, you guys got that place looking great. Yeah, she, I mean, she must be putting. I know. I know. My wife put me, even though she's in Korea. My my wife's got me doing all the yard work here. Well, I mean, luckily <laughs> there's two of us. But um, yeah. But, but, but again, it's been it's been nice to to spend time with the family and yeah, yeah. use the time we have because I think that will be less when when we get going. So I mean, you know, I've I've been you know I've been very busy. Um, you know, I, I I've luckily been in a position where I, you know, I had a little bit of money, not much, but a little bit of money aside. So I had a bit of breathing space in regards to that. You know, what am I going to do if I'm out of work for three and a half months? Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be 28th of March, April, May, you know, it's three months. It's going to be three months before we get going again. So, you know, time-wise, I think everyone were like, oh no, six weeks, you'll be back on. And it's, you know, one, it wouldn't have been six weeks because my visa Two, it's not been six weeks because of COVID. Right. So, you know, it's been three months and I'm, I'm, you know, I need to get back into work. 
in some capacity in the next two weeks, ideally two to three weeks, which ties perfectly into the phased approach of, of um, Governor Baker in Massachusetts. Right on. Is that is that how it's looking now? They're starting to open things up. I know here here yeah, in Dubai they just opened 18th. up uh, all businesses in Dubai yesterday. So yeah, so so 18th was was the phase one. 18th and 25th. So 25th, which was Monday, you've got um, like nail salons, you've got hairdressers, mm. those sort of things. Next Monday you have another set of. I think next Monday is um, like all the businesses in Boston. Yeah, and then there's there's more of a face approaching. I mean, you know, I feel sorry for the restaurants. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, the, the, and there's got there's got to be a way though, isn't there? I mean, it, it, you know, if we can open up a, a fitness center, or if we can open up a, a you know a beauty salon, yeah. there's got to be I mean, sort of a a way to go yeah, about it. I think what I think what they're saying is that they've got to be more like uh, you know forty percent capacity. Yeah. In regards to restaurants, so I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the restaurant trade, but I'm sure you know those businesses have to be at full capacity to be doing what they need to be doing. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, and, jack up the prices, and then but then nobody will show up. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, you know, people have been, people have been, you know, doing this curbside pickup and food servicing and stuff. But look, I mean, I haven't done a lot of that, but. I mean, maybe I should have done to support some of the restaurants. We have done bits of it, but you go, you go to a restaurant because it's more of a social than just the yeah, food. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a real tricky one, really. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's I, I just don't know. There, There's the young fella. There he is. There he yeah. is. There he is. Just doing a bit How of are bit. you? How's your squash? Oh, good. Charlie, right? Yep. Hi, uh, Charlie, uh, tell me about your squash. How, how's it going? How, how's your training going during the COVID situation, Charlie? This is Nick. Ta Nick Ta Nick's uh, son, Charlie. He's gonna. He's making inroads uh, these days, apparently. Yeah. How, how's your squash, Charlie? In here, I mean, he's he's actually gone through a huge growth spurt, and yeah. what we see with junior players is like the 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 the, the bones grow and the the ligaments don't follow so he's mm. actually in he's been in a little bit of pain through his ankles and his knees and stuff so right. you know he's been working quite hard on the you know like he's off court just how old is he now he, like he looks to be about 13 12 <laughs> he looks that 12 13 he's a bit older than that 15 15 really okay wow wow okay young he's baby face yeah, he's baby fetish. <laughs> See you, Charlie. Yeah. So he, he's been doing some stretching and working out here. So that's, that's good. Um, it, well, that's what they don't like doing. Well, no. No, we never did. I, I didn't do much of that when I was uh, 15 either. Absolutely. But, yeah. you know, when, when you're, when you're, you know, when I was that age, I wasn't probably playing at that level. I was playing at a lower level. I mean, the, the level's right. good. You know, yeah, so yeah. you have to, you know, try and get that little bit stronger work on your core, work on your glutes and, yeah. you know. Well, I guess when you're at that level uh, that, you know, he's at that level, he's competing against good players. Uh, he'll pro so, that'll probably um, drive him to, to do these things. I mean, look, uh, you know, at 15, I was probably playing like third division squash. I mean, at 15, he's playing, you know, five, two, five, three level. I mean, it's a good level. I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, some of these college kids are only playing at that so i mean you know he's in, he's playing well but he's got to he's got to manage the physicality side and 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 top up you know so he's not getting injured or picking injuries up and oscar slatter's these growing injuries that kids get yeah um so you know to, you know that that's been he looks like you know quite a polite young man there but when we're talking and i'm trying to get him to do his strength is not quite polite no <laughs> well then my kids are like that with me as well apparently my my daughter's the the the, the most polite girl in the neighborhood. Um, but uh, not, not, not around oh, yeah, me yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. I get it all the time when he texts a dog for a while. Well, your child is really, really polite. He's a lovely lad. I'm like, come and see him inside when he's talking to his mum and dad sometimes. But no, <laughs> he's, he's a good kid. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, just getting back to the academy, Nick, if you don't mind, uh, with regard to, to the new academies, it's something uh, – Obviously, it's something that you probably wanted for quite a while to put your name to, 
your own academy. So is that uh, basically, you know, something you've been looking forward to for, for quite a, quite a while now and it's come to fruition here? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I had, I had my own academy back in 2004 in Manchester. I mean, I was still playing a little bit at the time and Manchester City Council approached me and said, look, would you coach once or twice a week at the National Centre? We'll call it, you know, the Nick Taylor Academy. And that's how it started. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as I, when I retired the year after and I went into full time coaching, I then thought it was the right thing to change the name of the Nick Taylor Academy to the Manchester Squash Academy, because, it makes sense. I was built at yeah. the I was based at the National Centre. I was employed by the City Council, and if you leave, you know you, you you've got to take the name with you a little bit. So, mm. you know that. So then I moved to Jersey, and again, you know, had this opportunity of being mm-hmm. Jersey Squash Academy. But then, um, you know, there was, you know, we created this environment where, you know, we got all the courts so busy that other people wanted to get. You know what it's like. I mean, yeah. people like yeah. jump on the bandwagon. I mean, that in a nice way, you know, people, you inspire people to coach and then they don't maybe want to coach on your terms or within. Yeah. So, yeah. so then yeah. in Jersey, we ended up having a couple of academies and I went back to running Jersey National Squatch, but I had my own academy again in Jersey and then moved and left for Infinitum. And definitely, you know, I mean, a lot of people used to say to me, like, you need to get your own place. You need to get your own academy. It's, yeah. uh, and, and and that it wasn't. I mean, I, w- I would have loved that, but it was more. I think what's what's one. I got an opportunity here where it's smaller than I had, but I can manage my players. I can watch the pathway. I don't need to have two hundred and fifty kids. I can have fifty or sixty kids, and yeah. and keep an eye on all of them and their progressions and their development and pathways. So, you know, this opportunity has come about, and like I said to you. Jerry, it just gives me, it gives me my own time back. If I want to have a day off, I have a day off. Yeah. Where if I'm employed by someone, I feel a little bit more like under pressure to have to work more. Mm. Um, and you know, I know a lot of people are in those situations, but I wanted to try and get out of that. And this opportunity came about, and I've got a great deal here, and it's good for the owner because he gets life back in the facility. It's good for me because I can run my own show. Um, and I think this, you know, will become, you know, one of the biggest academies in 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 the U.S. Mm. Well, I was going to say, I it mean, it actually he... was when Dan Sharpling was here, seven, eight. Yeah, he had a good. Yeah, Dan had a play. Dan, Dan was here, and, and then he got an offer opportunity at Nobles, and then nothing really happened here for about four years. Okay. So, I was going to say, uh, uh, I mean, East Coast, not that. Maybe not even just in the area that you are in, but the East Coast squash right now in America is just booming. Uh, it had been it anyways until until yep. this is happening, and it still is. But in, you know, high school squash, varsity squash, oh, and I'm sure it, it, it's also. I mean, all squash on the East Coast is huge. So, with your academy in place now, uh, I'm sure that you. I'm sure you have clientele in amongst all of, all of that. So this will give you the opportunity to sort of maybe put your stamp, uh, maybe your way, uh, your, the, the way you approach things in terms of that, that locale, that, that situation. Uh, and, and it's no different than what I did at Infinitum or Jersey squash or Manchester squash, same principle. You inspire people, you, you mm. get them playing. I mean, if, if everything comes through, like people have said, I mean, my, my academy is pretty much full already. I mean, I've not even started yet. So if people, you know, I, I've got certain amount of slots. I want to keep equality, so I've got four courts yeah. for the elite players. I can only have a maximum of twelve players because that's the that's you know two to three per court. You right. can really then you sac- stuff, then, so. then you sacrifice quality there, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So you know, on paper, I mean, I'm 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 full. Whether whether that follows through or not, and people have the. I mean, eventually they will, but you know, I, I, like I say, you know, whether whether it's going to be a staged approach where you do, you know, a, a certain amount of clinics and it's small numbers, or you know, it, it's just one to one for the next few months. I, I don't know at this stage, but I think it's all going to be down to confidence. Um, yeah, and and I and I think you know, like I say, the the the, the most of my clients are kids. In fact, all of them on paper are. So, you know, and a lot of these kids are not being being 
you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be affected by this. You know, they're, they're, you know, if they get COVID, they won't even know they've got it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, as long as they're healthy and as long as we, you know, go through the right guidelines, I think it's going to be safe. Right. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I mean, good luck with all with, with the new academy, Nick, once it gets up Thanks. and running. And um, I mean, the, the youth, uh, especially on the East Coast in America, I mean, you've got a lot of potential, a lot of already very talented players, and they're doing really well overseas. And, and it, it's a testament to, I think it's just indicative of uh, all the, the quality, uh, I mean, all the, the, great, the great coaches that are over there right now, yourself. Uh, in in the area that you're in, you've got Shahid Zaman, you've got Thierry Linku, you've got all these tremendous varsity guys that are there, and also coaching, uh, doing clinics on the side. So it's just, I mean, things are really going to uh, it's going to translate into something really sort of the Egypt Egyptian esque uh, at some point, you would think. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think you know. I was talking to someone the other day about this, about the Egyptian model, and you know, the Egyptian model is is all about numbers. So mm. you know, it, I, I don't know if it's well. It's a, it's like this thing, isn't it? Uh, I know uh, they have it here too, where there's a huge Egyptian population in the UAE. It's massive, and every night at night they go to these clubs. Like they play, it's not squash isn't such a big part of it here, but I think squash, obviously in Egypt it is, but the whole family goes. And they, they spend the whole night at, at these clubs, badminton, bad, whatever they do. And I think it's part of that culture. But, but Jerry, look, like Mormon Shibagi, Shibagi less probably because he's less in Egypt, but Farag, they're, they're superstars. I mean, they're yeah. on national TV. They're on, they're on you know, they, they, they are, and that's a big thing. If you've got role models like soccer is in England, I mean, that, you know, those guys who are on pedestals, those professional mm. footballers, it's like that in Egypt. So, you know, I don't think the US will, will quite be like that. It'll be, still be a little bit niche, but yeah. I think what you're getting is with that niche, um, uh, you know, you've got, you know, Pete Nichol, Linku, you know, myself, you know, lots of other coaches who are quite technical and, and uh, you know, mm. working with s- small numbers, but but getting quite big, quick improvements because, um, you know, they, you, you, they're getting that technical base where I think yeah. Egypt is a little bit more massive numbers and, and take small, you know, out of those numbers, you're going to get 10% that are going to be just unbelievable. And those yeah. 10% might be 250 kids. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, no, exactly. I think we, if you look back to, uh, to JP when he was at the top of the world and in Canada, he actually, I mean, he obviously, gosh, was still a niche thing, but he, he made it in a, in a small way. He kind of made it mainstream. Like he was, he was on the, the TSN, the sports network on panels and, and things yeah. like that just because of his personality. So yeah. we, all you need is one or two guys like that. Well, well, you got two more. I mean, the other two that spring to mind, Diego Elias and, and, uh, and Miguel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you, you, you're starting to get players coming out of Peru. You're starting to get junior players coming out of Colombia. And, they, you know, they're at the U.S. Open. I mean, these, these kids can play. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, they can play. So it, it, it's fantastic for the game. Um, yeah. You know, the U.S. model is generally all based on, on um, you know, getting to college. Which, which is fine. That's a goal. But for me, you know, I, I want to try and create an environment. I've always said this, where the, the love of the game comes first. If, if you love doing something, mm. you've got to learn quicker. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, so I think, you know, there can be a, a lot of coaches out there who are just like, they're, they're like, you know, they're, they're, you've got to do this, you got to do you know it, it doesn't matter if you do you know and it's you know i think that what that can do is you get a kid then goes to college and then doesn't want to play anymore yeah yeah they see they so, see it as a break okay i'm at college now i, I i'm free absolutely yeah. Yeah, you, i mean look at harvard model i mean my way you know does i mean he has american players but he has kids who are coming from france yeah in england because they're, they're less maintenance they want to be there they're there before the coach because they love the game yeah you know victor he's just he just lives and breathes he's amazing yeah and, you know a lot of the english guys with that so you know you you if, if 
if I always said to the parents, look, don't get this goal here, which is college. Let me develop a pathway because if they're enjoying it, they're learning. If they're learning, they're getting better. If they're getting better, they want to play more. If they're playing more, they're improving more. Um, and, you know, that that's that's my my role as, as coach is create an environment where kids look, fall in love with a game of squash. Right on. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier that, that you're really not doing much with your uh, with, with the group of students or group of players that you're working with now you're just sort of letting them uh, do what they want but are, are you uh, if you were to advise them your players uh, in terms of uh, technical stuff that they could do under lockdown or or training any type of uh, strength and conditioning training I know I just did uh, just before we start started here I did my circuit uh, that, that was another reason I couldn't start early and if I had to get that to do that but uh, what do you uh, what would you advise your players yeah. well I mean f- firstly um, you know I've told them not to panic because they're mm. like oh we, we've had three nearly three months no squash they, they're gonna lose everything I'm like they're gonna actually be better when they come back and the hungry they're gonna be hungry they're gonna be hungry and they're gonna be because I'm I'm my sessions are, are very much I would say they're 85% technical so working on correct grip and swing, mm. which link into movement patterns. You know, you have the yeah. correct, you have the incorrect grip that affects movement. Fact. I still, I still, I love that video you had on YouTube with when you were with Infinitum. You, you guys put a bunch of YouTube videos out, which were fantastic. I forget the pro's name that you were working with there at the time, but it was the one where you uh, you went side to side. Yep. From the T to uh, to each service block, it was a little, it was a little tech, it was a little skip couple of yep. couple of yep. skips and that I mean that yeah yeah yep. I mean that that's something that uh, a lot of the guys at my club I, I showed them the video and they were like yeah that's how it's got to be done and well, they're all doing well, it now I mean the, the thing is with that I mean when you when you do it you're a bit like when I first started doing that 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 ghosting because people look at me and they like they watch me play and they're like oh my you, you move really well I mean you're 48 I mean I don't look like I move well when I watch a video on it but people like you move so well and I'm like <laughs> you must be born like that. And I said, I'm not born like that. It's just hours and hours of ghosting. Yeah. But you, you you can, you know, I I use it as a golfing analogy, right? Mm. Give it to me. I'd love it. When you go, when, when I go into a driving range, I can tell the high, I can tell the low handicap golfers because a good golfer who's a five handicap walks in with one bucket with 25 balls. The guys who are 36 handicap walking with five buckets with 200 balls. Right. And they're out of there in 20 minutes. And they're like, see, I've hit 200, but I hit 200 balls every time I come in here. They've got worse when they've <laughs> left. So there's no attention to detail. Yeah. So I think with things Preach. like, with, with things like <laughs> ghosting, it's like you see players ghost and you think, how are you ever going to move like that in, in a match? You're not. I was just so, going to say, Nick, like when it comes to ghosting, I know for me for a while there, I was doing this really intense, like crazy ghosting sessions. And I'd, I'd end up, you know, the next day really sore. But the, then I came to the realization that, you know, I've got a, at 50, you know, and this was not too long ago, maybe three, four years ago that it dawned on me, you know, I, I should be sort of not so worried about, you know, enhancing my, my fitness per se, but, you know, trying to get to the ball more efficiently with the speed that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get any faster. I don't think. Um, no, I don't think, I don't think you are, but what you can do is I always say to my adult players, look, don't, I, I mean, I say this to the masters mm. players. Yeah. Um, like I remember having a conversation, with one of the English guys is like, oh, I'm training every day for the next like 300 days for the worlds. And I'm like, you ain't going to the worlds. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And said, it won't be a walk when you go to the yeah. world. That's, that's crazy. So it's yeah. all about, I mean, I, I, look, I, before. That was, world, I mean, that's what, I mean, you, you took, I, my next question was, what's going to be about over 45 stuff? So, yeah. How, yeah, how so, would you, how would you, look, uh, what would you say look, to guys like our age? Right. Okay. So yeah. ju- just to answer your question on what should they be doing while the yeah. lockdown is on. So. One, I've done so much technical, their technique's going to be better when they come back because you learn the technique without you realizing. I'm yeah. telling you now, these kids are going to come back. They're going to be rusty. 
and they're going to be better players because that technique takes time to settle into the brain. That break will have helped. Yeah. Second thing is, I think you're right. I've just said about that with Charlie, strength and conditioning. So using your body weight, using rubber bands to, mm. to get glutes and, and get stronger. That's, that's massive for the kids, especially girls who, you know, once they hit that puberty and the Q angle, they need to be stronger in the, in the glutes or the, the knees not folding in when they're lunging, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So I think those two things are very important. So that, that's what I'm advising my, you know, go in and watch Nick Matthews. I mean, you know, mm. it, that sort of stuff is fantastic. You know, Lauren Masaru's got stuff out there. Yeah. I, really. I, I had been doing the Nick Matthew uh, training sessions there. They're, they're great. Yeah, I know. And it caters I mean, to everybody. I, 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 I've been staying away from them because I'm scared of them. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, they're, they're, they're brilliant. Um, Laura's was great, too. I did Actually, you took the two, the two that I – and I've tweaked and, and made my own based on what I'm able to do. Because uh, mm. I'm not able to lunge, like, uh, do those split lunges. Uh, like, I, I can't do that anymore. My hips are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so going, so talking about the masters. I mean, I mean, the, yeah. You know, the the the, the biggest thing for, for masters players for me is like learn to play squash better. Like I look at the way I play now. Like I look, I, I was actually recently looking back on some of my matches when I was like fourteen in the world, and I'm like, Jesus, I was a bad squash player. I mean, literally, I, I was like, Why do you say? Why do you say that? Just your your it, technique or. My, yeah, t- techniques changed now. Um, my ball control wasn't as good as what it is now. But mm. I think that's generally a life thing. I think you need a coach who's going to say, you know, I was ridiculously fit and I was ridiculously quick. That was the two strengths of mine. I mean, I never got <laughs> yeah. tired on a squash court. Yeah. But if I'd have had quality of squashing with it, now that's a different whole different ball game and that's where i've got massive admiration so is that is that maybe at at that time you you were you sort of realized what your strengths were and you weren't sort of focusing on on those other well well you need a coach who identifies that yeah you know how many coaches are out there like that's why i have so much as as, um you know you know I, i i admire nick and laura because you know, they're two people who you wouldn't say, you know, they're not Rami Shabana's Renim type players who are just like complete naturals, like a power, you know, an Elias. They're just natural, beautiful squash players. You yeah. can't really say that of Nick and Laura because they've done, but what you can say is they're, they're just, you know, mm. pulled information from every corner they could to be the best players. I mean, they're, they're two of the yeah. most successful squash players, male and female. Absolutely. This last generation. Well, Nick came so, on, I mean, he, he developed that, that, you know, ability to, to hit everything on the volley and, and uh, not let anything get past them. And then, then that became the super strength for him. Absolutely. So, so, you know, you, so, so, you know, you've got to, you know, as a master's player, mm. how can I take physicality off me, off myself? I mean, when I played the World Masters in in, in two time uh, two time or three time World Masters champion, two, two, two time, time. 2018, World, 2017. 2016, yeah. 2016, 2018. 2018. But I, I literally, I, I kid you not, between 16 and 18, uh, between that time period, I probably played six times. Really? Like played Honestly, actual? I, I just, yeah, yeah, played a match. I mean, I'm just not playing. I'm busy coaching. But I, I trained a month before the Worlds. Yeah. And, and I played with Matt Sidaway, who was my assistant. We played squash 57 every day. Right. Because if I play squash with a 25-year-old, I, I mean, I could beat him. I'm confident of that. But I'm going to be very sore in the body. So Th- thumbnail, uh, Nick, for, for anyone who's listening, what, what's squash 57 again? Like in the thumbnail? Well, it's played, with, it's played on a squash court. It's played yeah. with an American-sized racquetball racket. And it's played with an adaption of a of a the fifty seven is the size of a of the of the squash fifty seven ball. Okay. The squash ball is forty millimeters, so that's why squash fifty seven came. So okay. it's a bit like racquetball, um, but what it does is it I, I could play that every day. So if I yeah. play a squad, I can't. I play on Monday. I can't play for two days because I'm stiff as a board. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I know, so I yeah. play. Yeah. I play Monday. I don't play Tuesday. Don't play Wednesday. I play Thursday. Don't right. play Friday. Saturday. I've okay, so it's not just me. Not just you. Okay. So, it, like, look, when I when I was when I was twenty four, 
I could play two-hour two match on a Monday, yeah. two-hour match on a Tuesday, two-hour match on a three. No problem. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. So I played squash 57 for three weeks every day. Hmm. Like every day. So I'm controlling about my ball control went through the roof. Then I looked after my diet a bit. So I trimmed down because I was training. Then the last, literally the last week, I just played squash. Right. And I played uh, Shahar Jahan Khan, who was, who was like 80 in the world, played some one games with him. You know, was actually, you know, beating him in one games. Yeah. Um, so I, was, I knew that I got my squash and I thought to myself, look, I'm injury free. I'm going to take some beating here. I'm in a, I've put myself in a position where I feel really confident about myself. And I went there and played fantastic squash. Yeah, it's, it's a smart you know? approach, I think. You so know, instead uh, of just training for six months, and then I know that I'd have got to six months in, I wouldn't have played the Worlds because I got injured. Right. No, exactly. No, I think uh, what, I mean, what happened to me during the first period of this COVID, I thought, okay, I'm going to you know, just go. I'm going to start running 510K. I'm going to break my 5K record that I set like back when I was 30 or something like that. I ended up running pretty close. Like I ran 22, 23 minutes, 5K. And, uh, but then uh, for two weeks, I could barely walk after that. So I, was just, I mean, I just figured, you know, time to just sort of do it, do it smart. Uh, smart training. Yeah. That, that, that's the problem. I mean, you know, you don't want to do your cartilage at this stage because no. that could finish what you try to try to do. So the, the problem is there, Jerry, the mind can do it. The body can't. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. That's yeah. I, and I was, I was in pain towards the end of that run, but I just willed myself uh, to the finish line. Yeah. yeah when you're young, you can get away with that. But yeah. when, when, when you start, I mean, I don't like to use the world old, but you know, no. you know, age is only a number, but you've got to be definitely smarter in your approach. Yeah. Well, this, uh, that, that's great stuff, Nick. Appreciate your, your insight there. Now, uh, I did ask you, uh, uh, before we finish up today, I did ask you in, in our message there on Facebook if you could uh, share with us. I know you had an, an incredible uh, playing career, two-time British uh, national finalist, world number 14, European individual champion, all, uh, many accolades, Nick. Uh, but I, I just want to ask you two questions. One, first, uh, win or loss, doesn't matter, does, regardless of the circumstances, give us one match that sort of sticks out in your memory that, you, you know, we all have them. Uh, for me, yeah, I've got a couple of wins that I, I'd like to, you know, remember and a few losses that I'll never forget. But uh, for you, what, give us one match that you, uh, okay. that sticks so, out so, for you. So, so I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two situations here. Okay. I, I apologize, but I'm going to give you no, two. No. So the, the first one yeah. was... 18 years old, young pro, um, I get a call from a guy called Phil Whitlock. You know Phil Whitlock? Yeah, Emily. Emily's, uh, Emily Whitlock's father. So he was eight in the world. At the time, he was 12 in the world, and he'd had chronic fatigue syndrome. Right. And he lived in Cheshire. He lived like 30 minutes from me. So I get this phone call one day, and, it, and Phil's like a real – He's you know, I like Phil, but he's a bit of a Marmite character for a lot of people, but – I have a lot of time for him. So he rang me up and he went, is that Nick Taylor? And I went, yeah. And, and he went, Phil Whitlock. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like 400 in the world. He's 12 in the world. He went, do you want to play tomorrow? And I went, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up going down to Mia Country Club. He beat me nine love, nine love, nine love in right. 30 minutes, right? Cut a long story short, I ran for that 30 minutes like nonstop. And in the changing rooms after it, he never really said a lot. And he, he, he went, do you want to play again on Wednesday? I went, absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah. On the, yeah. I played him Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every week for the whole summer. By the end of the summer, I beat him 3-2. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so that, that was a That's massive, a lesson, lesson for everybody there. Honestly, I mean, I can say that was a massive turning point. I'm not sure whether if I haven't have had that opportunity – and you create these opportunities. He asked me to go back the Wednesday because I worked my, my backside off. And it was a good workout for him. He was, he was beating me, but it was a good workout. And I created these opportunities. One, by snatching his hand off. Two, by working hard. That was a big turning point. You earned his respect too, just by you know, wanting to come back under those circumstances. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that was a massive turning point for my squash. The second one 
was, so these are two things that when you ask me the question popped straight into my head. So the, the next one was 1998. Um, I'm, I go to, I'm, I'm, I'm in the States for three weeks. Hmm. I'm playing a tournament. I forget the first place. I think I'm doing an exhibition somewhere. Then I go to Houston to play the Texas Open. Yeah. I'm 36 in the world at the time. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the US Open, uh, go to Houston. I beat Martin Heath, who was, I think, six or seven in the world at wow, the time. that's a good win. Good win. And then in the final, I play Rodney Isles. So Rodney Isles, two in the world, current world champion. He won the world in 97 in Malaysia. Yeah. And a very hot court. Um, I beat I beat Isles at 3-1 in the final. Wow. Right. So, like, massive win. I beat world, world champion. Isles, I mean, he, he's one of the, the all-time, all-timers there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and so I go, I'm going to the US Open the week after. So it gives me loads of confidence. Um, play qualifying, um, ridiculously strong, 50K event, unbelievable. Everyone's in it from like 16 draw, 1 to 12. So I'm in qualifying. I qualify. I beat Dave Evans in qualifying I can't remember I beat a local guy I think it was one of the Americans he does remind me of it and I forget his name Ellingsworth um, anyway that will come back to me it, yeah. it was one of the older players so I, I, it will come back to me and then I, I beat someone else good result and then I beat Dave Evans last round of qualifying huge wow. win that's huge I yeah. mean, the, so who do I pull first round Isles Isles so, so hey, man, he, he, he wanted some fucking he wanted some revenge because oh, he, he's yeah. as tough so, as nails, so, isn't he? Like, so he, he's yeah. two in the world. Yeah. Pete Nickel was one, I think, at the time. He was seeded two. I beat Alzi in the US Open, 3-2 in the first round. Wow. And I actually get to the semifinals that year. I beat Mark Kearns the next round in, in four, I think. Um, uh, it puts me in the semifinals against power. So that was, again, that was, you know, 34 in the world. That was the springboard to push on to into the top 20. Wow, that's amazing. So Those I, are huge so results. Think, you know, yeah. that, that, that result in Houston gave me a lot of confidence that I could beat these top players. And then I followed that up. You know, beating Alzi in the Texas Open is different than beating Alzi in the US Open. Yeah. And he so would have won, uh, knowing him, I mean, I, I don't know him, but I've seen, you know, his sort of, uh, he's, he just seems like he's not all business on the court. So he would have oh, wanted, uh, I mean, wanted that one. Honestly, I, I, I'll never forget. I, I, we're going up and down the backhand side, and Al's is like spitting at me down the backhand wall. He's like, you know, so aggressive, and and you know, me, me and Alzi ended up pretty good friends on tour. And I see him actually a bit in the states because he's yeah. coaching in Greenwich, and um, he's a good guy. But Jesus, very aggressive, and, yeah, and yeah. But, but it didn't ever bother me. I mean, I'd look at him and smile at him, and I'm like, not a problem, Alzi. And I think he, he we, we, you know, I mean, obviously he was another one of my role models growing up, but, yeah. you know, I think he ended up having a lot of respect for me as a player on the court and, um, which was nice. And, you know, he's a legend of the game. Absolutely. Now, before you go, I, I had one more question. One, uh, one player uh, through your years that sort of all toughest, toughest guy for you to run up against in, in a, in an event. You know, maybe you won some, maybe you lost some, but a guy that you sure, if you saw you, you know, had to play him in, in the draw, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. Okay. So, so I think, I mean, it, that's, that's, a, it's a difficult question to answer because you, it, to answer, to say, to pick one player yeah. would be disrespectful to, I'm going to pick one player. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Pick, 100%. Pick I, one, I hear it. Pick one player would be disrespectful because everyone has their own, you know, you play someone like Shibana and you're off court in 20 minutes because the guy just completely outclasses you. Uh, you know, same with someone like a power, but the the one I'd say the one player for me was Dave Palmer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I played him in Belgium one year. He was probably eighteen or nineteen. Beat him in three games, and I thought I never want to play him again. <laughs> it, it was just horrible. It, it, just you know, the physicality of it all. Yeah, just just. You know, it was like, you know, an hour and 50 minutes, like long guard rallies, your feet are burning at the end of it, it, it you know. And and uh, look, and that was him. He got probably 100 times better than that. Yeah. So, yeah. not you know, he was called the Marine. And, and 
you know, I, I would say, you know, from a from a squash perspective, of course he was a good player, brilliant squash player. But I, I think like you can't compound someone like a Willstrop in regards to accuracy. But no. in regards to in regards to physicality, yeah. an absolute beast. Absolutely. Some but of the but he, I think, I think his shot making. He, I mean, he didn't. He wasn't a pure shot maker, but he was very accurate with a lot of his. Very you, accurate. Look, you, you don't get to world number one world champion without being, you know, you know, sevens or eights or nines in all all yeah. areas of the game. But you know, um, you know, to me, it, he was. He, he, yes, he got his game. His squash was good, but um, his physicality was was just second. I mean, you know, he used to do bike sessions where, you know, if twelve was your the the highest level on the bike where you could just turn the wheels, he yeah. used to do that for twelve minutes consecutive, sat in the seat. Right. Wow. I mean, most people would be dead after forty seconds. Yeah. So the guy <laughs> yeah, I've heard animal. some crazy stories about his bleep test uh, stuff as guy well. Guy was an animal. Um, but but I think you know. You, so he was a player where you know you, he you know you just thought oh you know this is not going to be pleasant. Um, so yeah, Dave Palmer. Right. But, on, but, well. but you know not to, not to show any disrespect to any of the other players because no. I mean, you you've, know, play, you've played them all, Nick, so I'm sure, I mean, you've played all the greats and you know, difficult to just pick one. But I guess a guy, the sort of, you, you just felt, you, you knew it was going to be difficult regardless. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think a, a good question would be pick characteristics of certain players. You know, Linku's lateral movement, unbelievable. Yeah. You know, Nick Matthews' volley, unbelievable. Uh, Lee Beachel's deception on the volley, outrageous. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just watched uh, watched him know, play Johnny White uh, today a, a little bit on on the YouTube, and question, he was amazing. Good question. Yeah, White's ability to generate pace from a short swing. Yeah, ridiculous. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, you can't appreciate that until you play against it. I mean, White has had me off in twelve minutes, best of five in in Halifax in a, in a national league match. I mean, you know, it was a packed crowd and me and Whitey are laughing at each other because he's hitting dead nicks every rally. And I'm like, yeah. Whitey, this is like, you're going to have to stop embarrassing me here. You know, and we're just <laughs> laughing about it. But the ability to do that, um, yeah. you know, so, you know, every player has, has these skills. And what you try to do is, for me, I'm trying to take Beachel's deception and Nick Matthews' volley and Will Strop's accuracy on the drop and try and incorporate that into players, in, into players' games. There you go. Not you that go. good, but but you know, fives or sixes in those yeah. areas can make a very, very. Well, those those are sort of prototypical elements of every you know of, of a of great squash players that you might want to incorporate yeah. into. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Nick, uh, uh, you've been great with your time today. Really appreciate this uh, second visit to the podcast. And again, I just Thank hope everything uh, goes well for you and your family with the club opening up with the green uh, green card hopefully that comes through for you soon as well yeah. and appreciate uh, uh, you uh, listening to the podcast as well because I know uh, no thank you Jerry Take care. well thanks to Nick Taylor for that one that was awesome uh, lots of insight there with regard to the COVID situation to training to coaching juniors uh, and some really uh, fascinating anecdotes which also uh, had a lot of food for thought within them. So, uh, Nick, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you. And uh, also appreciate all of you for listening. Really appreciate the feedback you give and sharing the podcast. A lot of you do. The likes you uh, you give and the, uh, the shout-outs uh, every now and then on social media, which are fantastic. Uh, please continue to do so. Please share with your friends and your squash community and your squash circles at your club. I think a lot of what's going on here, not only on my podcast, but on the others. And, uh, you know, there are several uh, coming up now because a lot of the players uh, have time on their hands and they're thankfully putting out stuff as well. So listen to everything that we can and, uh, you know, put all of this uh, information uh, to work and uh, let's hit the, the squash shorts. We're going to be, I think all of us will have improved or uh, you'll be surprised, I think. And Nick mentioned that in the uh, podcast today that uh, 
hopefully we'll be hitting the ground running and uh, improved versions of ourselves in the squash court. So, uh, yeah, please do uh, share these podcasts with your friends and also listen to as many of the others that are out there as well. Now, coming up, I don't really want to jinx it with the name, but I will say uh, we have a world uh, champion coming on to the podcast in the next couple of days with any luck. So, Fingers crossed that that comes to fruition. Uh, so pay, uh, stay, uh, stay tuned for that one. That's in within the next few days. Really appreciate all of you. Thanks for listening. And uh, all the best to you, your family. Hope you're safe and healthy. Take care and talk to you soon. Goodbye now.